Welcome to the Purdue Basketball Podcast. I'm Elliot Bloom, joined by the voice of the Boilermakers, Larry Clisby. And today, episode 24 on the podcast, we welcome in volleyball coach Dave Shondell. Coach, uh, first of all, welcome to the podcast. It's a great privilege to be here with you two gentlemen uh, on this show and uh, excited about uh, what we're going to talk about and looking forward to a great weekend here at uh, Purdue. Well, I want, and that's one thing I do want to get into is just all the things that are going on in Purdue sports. And I know you're a big uh, champion of that. Um, anybody that follows you on social media knows that uh, you're as, uh, you, you have as much golden black going through your veins as anybody. And um, I think everybody around the department, there's a real sense of there's just a higher level of energy, excitement. Uh, I think we're seeing it translate into our fan base as well. Um, as we're taping this, we're coming up on the Purdue-Michigan football game, uh, just being one example. But there's a lot of things happening across the board here in athletics. Well, it's it's maybe as good of a time as I can remember to be a Boilermaker. I mean, we, it's not happened yet, but you can certainly, as you mentioned, Elliot, you can feel uh, the momentum, as I like to say, of, of what's going on here. And it, it didn't just start. You could, If you've been around uh, you know, the campus and the athletic department, you've seen the hires that have been made. Um, by our administration, and obviously Jeff Brom and the Brom squad was the one that may have uh, been the final nail uh, that we needed, and uh, so much excitement. But this is a fan base that's been starving for um, something a lot like this. I mean, obviously, you know, there have been some teams that have been done very, very well, uh, but if your football team is sitting idle, it impacts everybody. And uh, the administration from Mitch Daniels all the way down made a decision that we're going to do something about football. And we've, we've been trying. But uh, when you get the right guy, um, it solves a lot of, a lot of issues. And I, and I don't think that, you know, that we're on easy street yet with, with football. Right, right. But uh, certainly the excitement and, and the possibility of having a sellout this, uh, this weekend for the Michigan game is just what people have been waiting for for a long time. Well, think about it, Elliot. I mean, a two-game winning streak for the first time since 2012. I'm, we're talking five years since we've had a two-game winning streak. Right. It's, and, and we just talked before we started recording here, just the, the schedule we've had has been pretty salty. And we've, you know. Yeah, it's not, it's not Division two teams that we're beating. Right. And, uh so there's reason. There's good, you know. No, Ohio, justified Ohio came in. What they were a three-point underdog, right? Right. Uh, we're going to the Michigan game, which is a top ten team as at, at the moment as we speak, as an eight-point dog. Uh, last year that would have been uh, twenty-five or more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good point. Uh, I mean, with the, I'm talking with the same people on the field, right? Not the same identical, but pretty close, right? You know what I mean? So yeah. You're you're an eight point dog to a top ten team and a team that really wants to be in a national championship con- uh, conversation. So, yeah, I mean that's and who knows? I mean I got people out of their minds right now saying, "Well, we'll beat Michigan. Who's next?" Right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> right. Well, that's well that's part of that's part of coaching too, and I think you can attest to this, coach, because I mean, first of all, you've been here fourteen years now. That's hard to believe. Which is you know really, Dave. That's hard to believe. Which where do you rank in our coaches now? So it's Coach Ross is the dean, Devin Browse, Devin, and then and I, then I think you. Me. Yeah. Wow, wow, yeah, great for you. So and and you've had that success here. So ten of the last thirteen seasons in the NCAA tournament, um, and you guys compete in a league that you know year in year out. It's not that you have a lot of teams in the top twenty-five. 
is that you have a lot of teams in the top five. I mean, like this week alone, as we tape this, you guys are ranked 13th in the national polls. Minnesota's number one, Penn State number two, Wisconsin number five, Nebraska <laughs> 14. I mean, right there, there's three teams in the top five in your league, Larry. So question. The first question of the day for Dave is, and I, and I think about this a lot because when I talk to people about volleyball, and, and men's volleyball too, when you look at the teams who dominate, you're kind of surprised who they are. But in our case and in your case, why the Midwest? Where, where's that, where is the uh, building block of that? Because I would think West Coast teams, Southern teams, any Coast teams would yeah. be the teams that would dominate. Well, I, that's a great question and uh, kind of plays right into our hands a little bit. But the West Coast used to absolutely dominate. You know, when I was playing at Ball State in the in the mid seventies, of course, following my dad, who started the men's volleyball program at Ball State back in about nineteen sixty one, you couldn't beat UCLA, you couldn't beat USC or Pepperdine or Hawaii or San Diego State, all those programs that had been around for a long time, and those guys were growing up playing on the beach. Mm-hmm. And as you mentioned, in the Midwest, where are you playing? You know, the indoor volleyball, especially back then, was just really rare for for boys. To play, and um, but there were some people that decided to change that. And my, you know, my dad, Doctor Don, um, who was at Ball State, was kind of the um, the godfather, I think, of Midwest volleyball. And so many people that then played at Ball State because it was a teachers' college stayed in education. They stayed in coaching, and they kind of spread this volleyball throughout the Midwest. And any success that you find, or just about any success you find in volleyball in the Midwest can be tracked back to wow. Ball State, to Dr. Don, whether it's through, um, you know, Arnie Ball, uh, Lloyd Ball's dad, that uh, coached at IPFW, he was a Ball State guy. Mick Haley, who used to be the Olympic coach for uh, USA, that now is at USC, Ball State guy. They're, they're all, nobody's produced more uh, volleyball coaches in America than Ball State. And so that kind of answers your question that just spread. And the other thing is, is that it's an indoor sport now, okay? And in the Midwest, the reason basketball is such a great sport is because you can always play it. You can, you're going to go indoors. You're not going to go out, outside and play all the time here. And volleyball is very similar. So, And there have been some great coaches that are running great clubs around this area. You know, you know, it's, it's kind of like AU basketball. In our case, there's some really high-character people that are uh, running uh, the top clubs in, in the Midwest, and they're producing great players. Well, I know when, when you were first hired, I can remember. I remember your first press conference. Um, there was a sense that I think normally you go out, you get an assistant at another D1 program, you get a you know a coach at maybe a Mac school, that kind of thing. Um, you came uh, through a little different route, mm-hmm. and uh, I know I can just remember when you were introduced at that press conference, you had a confidence, but you have that built-in recruiting base right here in your backyard, and that's that's a huge factor. And he had the biggest name in well, volleyball in the state absolutely. by far. So it but I. it's one thing to have it in the state. It's another thing like, True, but you know, now you're, yeah. this is the you know, bigger stage. Um, well, I, but talk about that whole process. You know, the, what what was your response? And, and I'm sure as you recruited, you didn't need to sell yourself. Like you may have needed to sell yourself to a fan base. Mm-hmm. I guess that's what I'm getting at. Well, the whole process was interesting. Um that was 2003. In 1999, they made a coaching change here at Purdue. Uh, uh, Joey Verzell had been here for four years. That didn't work out the way that they wanted to. And when that job opened, I made a phone call. 
And uh, I remember being at the Olympic Training Center because I was helping coach the junior national team at that point in time. And we were picking our team. And Russ Rose and Chuck Irby, two at that time big names in Big Ten volleyball. Russ is still at Penn State and has won like seven national championships. And Chuck Irby was at Michigan State. And they both uh, inferred to me that you have a better situation where you are at Muncie with the, the Munciana Volleyball Club, your Muncie Central thing. You know, you really shouldn't even – you know, look at that Purdue situation. And and I really had, had great teams coming up, and so I just kind of backed off. Never even officially applied for the job, but I, I did make the phone call, and they did sound interested. But four, year, four years later, uh, I was ready to go. Um, and it was funny because I saw the article in, in the Muncie Star that they replaced uh, or were going to replace Jeff Halsmeyer. And as soon as I, I, I read the article, my brother John, who was at Newcastle at the time, calls me, and he says, we're getting that job. I said, and I played dumb. I said, what job? He said, Purdue. We're getting it. And I said, okay. And so um, I called and uh, I met with uh, Roger Blaylock, uh, the late, great Roger Blaylock at the Final Four that was in New Orleans that year. And I always went to the Final Four. That's kind of how you wanted to stay involved. And, mm-hmm. and I was there for the convention and met with Roger. And the first thing he said is, you're the first guy we thought of. He said, but you got to convince us how we're going to hire a high school coach to come in and take over a Big Ten program. And so the work began at that point in time. And I started by contacting a lot of college coaches who um, I knew and that were very well respected. They started writing and making phone calls to a point where our administration called me one time and said, why is everybody calling us for? And I said, because you told me I had to let you know, you know, why this was going to be a good uh, a good hire, and uh, and then I called uh, a lot of the high school coaches in the state because none of the top players in the state were coming to Purdue at that point. Right. They, they couldn't. Right. Get, they could not get them, and so you know I, I I communicated with them to to write and say, hey, if this guy is the coach, we're going to look at Purdue differently. Same thing with the top club coaches across the country, and then I got into the John Purdue Club. You know, I figured I got to get some people getting my name out with those people. And I, you know, this was before I really knew how things really worked. But right. I figured it can't be a bad idea if, you know, during basketball season over there, and it used to be when they come over to, to Holloway Gym and they mingle around, if they were spreading the word there, and they did that. And then I had a few people that knew people on the board of trustees. A good friend of mine is Phil Eisenberger, who played basketball down at IU. You mm-hmm. guys remember him. Mm-hmm. And, yep. He had a, a couple of really good friends, and so uh, on the board of trustees at that point in time. So I was trying to come from a lot of different angles. And then when I came in for the interview, I had a PowerPoint presentation, okay, that showed this is who I am, this is what we've done, this is what I'm going to do at Purdue. And I think those things combined, and the fact that there were not a lot of good applicants for the job, I mean, it was a bad job. They, they'd finished last in the Big Ten three years in a row. They weren't paying a lot of money. And so there wasn't uh, the kind of pool you might get today uh, for this job. And so all those factors allowed me to get the job. Hey, if you don't, uh, and I was doing, uh, that's after I was doing sports locally, but I can remember, look, I'm just a regular sports announcer in Lafayette, Indiana. And I'm seeing the volleyball team. I remember the Carol Dewey days when it, right at the beginning of Title IX, when we decided that volleyball was going to be our go-to sport on the woman's side and um, I remember that place being sold out. I remember Mackie Arena being sold out for a Western Michigan right. match. I covered Back it. Back Mackie. And, um, but I said, now I'm just, I'm just a Lafayette guy who knows sports a little bit, but I said, 
This is without doing any research. I said, if you don't hire a Shondell, you're an idiot. That's basically what I said. I mean, it, it had to be, it had to be the Shondell name. And once I heard that your your name was mentioned, I said, that's a no-brainer, man. I mean, all you have to, whether it's high school or not, I, and I've always believed this. Now look, don't go back to the Gary Faust stuff. It's a, it's a little bit different in that situation, but Faust was a tied to one thing, and that's before you had all these AAU clubs and all yeah, this other right, stuff. Right. And so here here's a here's a volleyball name that is paramount with 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 the game, let alone you know in high school or in Muncie. So uh, I I just thought it was a no brainer, and I'm just a hell I've never met you before. So <laughs> just yeah. let you know that I I think I think your name certainly carried a lot of weight and obviously been proved. Well, you come in and you 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 put a staff together, and they're still with still with you. Yeah, and that's got that's that's helped as well. All this success, it really has. I, I think I think it makes a statement about Purdue as much as anything that you know it's a great place to work. Um, you know, we have a couple of unique assistant coaches. You know, my brother John, um, he is so committed to making this happen at Purdue. I mean, he's a, he's he's into it as much as I am, and that we want to do something extremely special and, and we've done some nice things but we, we don't have a championship banner hanging anywhere right now and we think we can do that we think we can do that with this team this year um, but he's he's just he's 100% into it his wife's a Purdue grad that is a uh, pharmacy major that has a great job and so he doesn't have to go chase you know more money he's in a good situation where he's doing what he wants to do and that makes a huge difference to have somebody who could be coaching in the Power Five conference, right? At, at about anywhere, okay, as your assistant, okay. Uh, and then Kathy Jewell, who came in from uh, Central Michigan, was the only coach we had that had any college experience, okay, and uh, was actually my first, the first hire that we made. And she basically does all the stuff that John and I don't want to do, or we can't do, or we'll screw up. And she keeps things. You know, kind of what your your job has been around here for a long time, and she does that, but she also coaches. She also gets in the gym, and now that we've hired Stephanie Lynch Harpenau, who was our first first team All American at Purdue for our staff, now she's come in and she does an unbelievable job. And so now uh, Kathy Jewell has been able to go out and do more coaching and to do more recruiting, and, and so that that move has helped us. We got a really really good staff, and and without a good staff, I, I look at some of the programs that are kind of up and down in our league. And their assistant coaches are every there's turnover all the time. Now, you know, that's a great thing for the assistant coaches if they're getting better jobs. Right. But it's not a great thing for your program. Yep. To have to, to constantly build that continuity and, and we've got that and I think it's a good selling point for recruits. When you uh, when you do get when you guys recruit, talk us through a little bit about uh, I guess philosophy and that kind of thing. I know it probably like most programs or like most sports here at Purdue, it probably starts in the Midwest. Um, but how uh, how far are you guys branching out, and, and kind of what's the process? At what point, like for us, I think most of our fans know um, they know all the basketball recruits we're on. They know the ages of these guys. You know, when do you guys start in on on recruits? Well, we start in. We've got to start looking at, at kids when they're in eighth grade. Now we don't move on them. We we're not aggressively recruiting kids in eighth grade like a lot of programs are. But you have to start to identify them. The difference. One of the differences of women and men um, is that 
there can be a guy playing AAU basketball in eighth grade that's 5'10 and is going to be 6'9, right, okay, two right. years later. Yep. In our sport, if they're 6'1 in eighth grade, they're probably going to be maybe 6'2 uh, when, they're, when they're here. So what you see is closer to what you get in eighth grade for a female than it is for a male. I mean, you can still look at a lot of things, but, but a lot of programs are really aggressive the recruiting, we don't, we're not going to do that. And I'm up front with the club coaches. We're not recruiting an eighth grader. It's mm-hmm. not going to happen. But it's happened. I mean, Minnesota got an eighth grader commit last year. Wow. Okay. Unreal. Uh, at a Newcastle, Indiana, of all places. So, um, but the other part of that question would be that um, we start in the state, but we're just like men's basketball. Everyone in America is coming into this state to find volleyball players. So it's not like, you know, I, I get a kick out of when people get irritated with Painter because he's not getting every top kid in the state of Indiana. Well, everybody's coming here to get him. And sometimes Kentucky and North Carolina and UCLA and some of those names sound pretty good, Duke. Those are pretty good names. And and kids get so caught up in what it's going to sound like when they commit as, as, as much as they do what's the experience going to be like and what sure. makes sense. And, um, and the same thing happens in volleyball. It's an ego ride. And then all of a sudden they find that, and the parents get involved too. Well, parents right? are can be, can be every bit as a big a part of that, and they think they're doing the right thing. I, mean, I understand sure. that, but what we found out is we've done very well in our state uh, because of the connections we have, and I think that the respect that we, our staff, and also the university has throughout this state. But we get we find out that Purdue has as much, if not more, weight the further away from Lafayette than that, that you get. Right. You know, I mean, we got four kids from California on our roster right now, right. which is unusual because I haven't been in the state of California recruiting for 10 years. I've seen, <laughs> them, I've seen them at tournaments and then we got a couple of transfers that have been uh, very beneficial. But, uh, you know, there's play. Texas loves Purdue. Florida right. loves Purdue. You know, there, there are places that really have a tremendous respect for Purdue. And, and at the end of the day, you've got to go where you can find the players. And if, if they're lined up here out of Indianapolis, wonderful. we got some great players from Indy on our team right now. But, um, everyone's coming in to get those guys just like they are in basketball and you hope you can get your fair share and then you've got to go find them. You know, we've got a girl from, um, Blake Moeller is from Ocean Springs, Mississippi. Mississippi may be the worst volleyball state in America because <laughs> you know, only, only 10% of the schools play volleyball. Yeah. But she's at one that does and she's a big time athlete that played club in Mobile, Alabama. Not that Alabama is a whole lot better, but it's a little bit better. And that's a pocket where they have some good volleyball. And it's where Catherine Rabarchek, who graduated uh, about four years ago, was from the same club. So we've got a connection there. And, you, and, you know, if they want to keep sending us, you know, high-level Big Ten athletes, we're going to be happy about it. Absolutely. Um, talk a little bit about uh, your home environment in Holloway Gym. Um, I know this year uh, they've added the uh, temporary air conditioning, which has mm-hmm. obviously helped. Um, but talk about just... In our league, I remember way back when, I, when I worked at Duke, I was uh, SID for volleyball. Mm-hmm. And I was amazed that we'd get 150 people for, for home matches, and I was just floored by that. Because I was used to matches here at Purdue where we had far more than that. Mm-hmm. And then after I worked here, when I worked at Kansas, they had a gym that they would fill pretty regularly. It wasn't a huge gym, mm-hmm. but they would get good crowds. And then i go down to Duke, and it was like they were getting – 3,000 people at a soccer match, 3,000 people at a cross match, and 150 at volleyball matches. So talk a little bit about 
our home environment, but also just around the league and stuff, um, it doesn't get any better in terms of crowds in the Big Ten. No, the, the, the Big Ten conference, and this stat came to me last year. I don't know if it came from the Big Ten office or not, but the Big Ten outdrew the two next best conferences by 300,000. Wow. Okay. Wow. That was combined. So you take the Pac-12 <laughs> and the Big 12, and we outdrew them by 300,000 fans. Wow, that's incredible. And, uh, of course, Nebraska's got it going on right now, as they do in every sport. That's what people in Nebraska do. They go watch the University of Nebraska, and they're averaging about 8,000. They sell out their place, the Devaney Center, um, all the time. Wisconsin draws very well now. They've got it, they've got it going again. Uh, Minnesota. Uh, with the former Olympic coach, uh, both the men and women Olympic coaches there now, Hugh McCutcheon, and he's brought uh, you know a lot of enthusiasm back there. But you know we we average right around 2,400. Our place holds about 2,400, and so we're we're getting good crowds in there all the time. And I think it's because the Big Ten has made a huge commitment to women's athletics. They always have, and I think that's a great statement for for the Big Ten. The social media. I mean, kind of like what we're even doing right now. The social right. media has been unbelievable for volleyball because the old media isn't going to cover volleyball. They never did. They never will. They don't get it. And, and that's fine. I understand that. That's fine. Okay. They just don't see the value in really covering women's volleyball. Now, there are some pockets where they really do, and, that, and that's, that's great. But now it doesn't matter Yeah. because you do your own work. Yep. And, you know, you talk about my, my role and my intensity in, in the social media. That's all for one thing. That's a great way to put it. Your intensity. <laughs> that's, I like that. That's just all. That's all to build our fan base. Yeah. And make well, people wait, aware what's going on. Well, wait till you get the uh, feedback on this podcast. <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait to see what kind of <laughs> oh, people we have knocking the doors down oh, this week. You're going to pick goodness. up a couple thousand followers yeah. on Twitter. Oh, Easy. Just he knows. I mean, he knows it. He can feel it. Uh -huh. He hasn't even got out of that seat yet. <laughs> but, uh, but, but but our environment is a little bit different because our venue is smaller. You know, you, you go to at Wisconsin, would they draw probably 5,000 uh, consistently. They're playing an 11, 12,000 seat, you know, Badger Fieldhouse. Right. You guys have all been there. And it's, it's still a good environment, but people aren't on top of the floor. Here, we designed, I was in chief in designer for this facility when we renovated it. And I found out how close can we get our fans to the floor. And that's where they are. And so... We're right on top of it. There's not a bad seat in the in the house. I wish we had more. I wish we could put more seats in there, but we can't. I mean, there's no way we can put any more seats in there than we than we have right now. So we've got close to 2,500, and uh, but it's it's rocking. We always have anywhere from 500 to 750 students, and I think if you're a, a college athlete, you would rather play in front of your cohorts than. Um, you know, you go to Nebraska, and Nebraska's got an unbelievable situation. But most of the, the people in the crowd have blue hair. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're not young students. Okay, they're they're a lot of old timers that are, are eating up all those season tickets, and then there's nothing left for the students to, to come in there. So, uh, we're we're catering to our students, and we work really hard as a team and a staff to make sure how valuable those those students know how valuable they are. And we have events kind of like what you guys do. You reach out to them all the time. We're past the time where you can just expect people to show up and watch you play. Right, no I mean, doubt. You've, you've got to do some things to make sure they understand what their uh, their value and their role and, and how much you appreciate them. It is a great environment. And the one thing you do notice when you walk in those doors is right across the way is those that student section. And they are, uh, they're there every game. They're loud. And they I always get a kick out of when the – 
when the opposing servers back up and they're feet away from them yeah. and the, the stuff that goes on, it, it's a pretty cool scene. Um, talk a little bit about the Big Ten Network. Uh, you know, you've got a lot of matches that are televised. Mm-hmm. Um, how does that come into play? How do you use that to your advantage in terms of recruiting? Well, I think it's just brought tremendous attention to our sport uh, uh, in the in the Big Ten. I mean, everybody gets it. There's, you'll hear from high school coaches, you know, thousands of miles away that tell you every Wednesday night they have a, a get-together with their high school team and they're watching the Big Ten Network. And that's that's helping them, number one, just as a team bonding, but it's helping them understand this is how the game's supposed to be played. Mm-hmm. So that's the people are watching Big Ten Volleyball. When you go up and talk to the people at the Big Ten Network, when we meet with our coaches in January, they flat tell us this is one of the best things we've got going. And our numbers have gone from where we were only getting – 12 to 15 matches a year to where we're getting 40, 45 matches a year now because there was a, a need for that, and they saw that, and people were, were watching it. And so, um, you know, it's the same thing, you know, that you know you ask the question, why are we filling the gyms? Because we've got great athletes, the best. This is the best college conference in, in the world. I mean, there, there was some pro league, a couple pro leagues that might be better than what we're doing right here. But I go back to Russ Rose, who you know is at Penn State and probably the most respected coach in the country, and we talk a lot. And he says, "This is a pro league, because everyone that's starting in this league right now is going to be playing pro when they graduate." And so, that's the kind of volleyball that they're seeing. And athletically, you just come in and look at our gym. I mean, we've got we've got some bodies that you're going to say, "Well, I haven't seen a woman like that before," and they're really impressive athletically. Um, and and we've got some really high character athletes also. Now, I, I, when you talk about your home environment, I always think about the old Penn State gym. And when we oh, used to play there. Yeah, we were there all the time. That's where we play. Yeah, well, yeah. and when men's basketball used to play there, yeah. you, you know, know the they would have to back the students up to inbound on the sideline. Yeah. It was they like, should hey, still guys. be playing there. Well, yeah. They'd be, they'd be winning more games and, if they were And so there. now when, you know, we go yeah. into the Bryce well, Jordan there, Center. I did the game, and uh, they beat us when we had Big Dog. Yeah. The, the uh that, that team lost to them in right. that little thing, and it's and it, but it's it reminds me of just when you've got a good setup like you and I know I understand what your point about you want to add some seats, but like if you were to ever, you know, go to a ten thousand seat arena, you'd lose that you'd yeah. lose that intimacy and, and that, and and I, that I advantage. I think Nebraska did that. Nebraska used to play in what they called the Coliseum, which was basically at their intramural building, but it was a a venue that was tight. It had about thirty five hundred. They never lost in there, never got beat. And uh, then they go to the Devaney Center, which now has over twice as much, totally different environment, mm-hmm. a more sterile environment for college volleyball. And their winning percentage is not as good. It's still very good. Right. But it's not the same as walking into that Coliseum. We feel that a little bit. We go to places like Ohio State, and you've got an 18,000-seat arena, and it feels it feels like a Tuesday night NBA game. Yeah, where it's you know half exactly. full and it's and it, it's not intimidating. You know, and they've tried uh, they've tried a lot of things. They've moved the students down behind the benches, um, but it's hard to recreate when you've got a, a really tight gym and, and fans on top. Well, of you. think hard about to well, think that. you mentioned Penn State. I mean, think about them. They got believe me that arena, in my opinion, outside of ours, which I have a affinity towards, but the, their arena is the best arena in the, in the Big Ten, in my opinion. Uh, similar to Nebraska's, and has been for where are we talking 15, 20 years now. The Joy Center is yeah. really mm-hmm. a great place. Mm-hmm. Would be a great place to watch a basketball game if you had a good team. 
but they, they can't, but they they can't draw there. So, right. so what happens is you get four or five thousand people to, and they got to you know close off the upper decks and you can go in there and as a visiting team, even though it's always been hard, you do have a distinct advantage because that crowd's not going to make an effort to to make it uncomfortable for you. Right. And uh, but boy, it could be. I mean, and it's, I saw Cameron Stevens had a big shot in there from the corner one night. Kendall? Kendall, yeah, Kendall, Kendall, Kendall yeah, hit that yeah. shot to, at the tie the, uh, tie the game. Yeah, right? we tipped out a missed free throw, yeah, and he hit a three to tie. I remember watching oh, that from, a, a, from we, an airport. We've had yeah. a ton of games yeah. like that up there, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah, we've had some. Uh, the one more than we've lost. Well, that's the yeah. only. That's the trick to playing there is that you don't want to then be sleepwalking when you play because yeah. sometimes when a crowd's not into oh, yeah. it like that, and you, I mean, you know, you've been around games long enough, you. And let me ask you this question from a coaching standpoint, because there's times we're playing, let's say we're playing at Penn State on a Wednesday night, it's an 8.30 tip, and the thing that goes through the coaches' minds is, we got to make sure our guys are up for this. Oh, no doubt. And <laughs> no I assume doubt. that we're not unique in that. I, mean, I, res- I assume that that translates to all sports. But Our, our, what, worst, what, our worst experiences have been in Iowa. And what's your approach to that? I mean, because as oh, I think sometimes you can feel it coming, and – it's just it's kind of a helpless feeling. If if you have a couple of days to get ready for it, you can start building early, and you can I think you can make the game a lot more important than what it might be. But for example, if when we go to Iowa, it's normally right after we play Nebraska. We might yeah. play Nebraska on a Friday, and then we're going to play Iowa the next day. How, it doesn't give you a lot of time right. to get them jacked up the way they need to be jacked up. I always feel better, like you know, like we go into Indiana draws one really good crowd a year. It seems like. When we're there, yeah, okay, and they think that's going to help them, but I believe if you've got big time athletes, they would rather walk into a venue where they're hanging from the rafters. Oh yeah, than yeah, walk into a place that's got a half full gym that nobody that's people are sitting on their hands. No, I agree. Our, our girls will play at a much higher level if if people are getting on them and yelling at them and heckling them and causing problems. It's amazing. Like the last year, I think the last year, you know, we went into Maryland and Indiana and Michigan State. One, all those places. But felt like going in, like you're more worried about the the only thing you're worried about is the opponent and what they're doing, and you don't worry one bit about your guys rising to the challenge. Right. Whereas, as you talked about, some of those other venues, it's the opposite. You you say, well, we're be- we're a better team. We just got to get our guys up to play exactly. at that level. Yeah, and that's where the whole other side of coaching comes into it. And I remember one year we went to Penn State, and it was one of those same situations. We had some time to prepare. We had two really good walk-ons, Bobby Riddell and Mark Wolford. And at the time, Penn State had two pretty good guards. And Coach Painter had those guys on the scouting team that night before. And those two guys picked the same night to be in a zone. Yeah. And I'm not kidding you, they made like 15 straight shots against Etwan, Rob, Juwan, Kramer, Keaton. I mean, those guys. And Coach lit into them that whole practice the night before. And the game rolled around, and we won by 30. And it was never close. And it was all because the tone was set, you know, going yeah. into the game. So and that's That's the sometimes the 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 shame with coaching is that you have to sometimes go out of character yeah (laughs) to get people's attention you know i it's almost uh, and the older you get the more that you know you kind of get a a chuckle out of it but i've got to put on i got to act you know because i'm to a point right now i'm i'm pretty calm as a coach compared to where i used to be but sometimes you got to you got to get into somebody and you got to you got to put on a show to get their attention and and that's kind of what we're talking about. You go to right. Iowa, you got to you got to do some things. Just what Coach Painter did. Luckily, those guys put on a show and made his team look bad. Right. And so he gave him the opportunity to really get somebody's attention. Well, I saw that um, 
we had our seats with the basketball team. Uh, the Ohio game were in the second row, so we're right by the Purdue football bench. Football game opening. Yeah, the football yeah, game. Friday yeah. night opener. And what Jeff has done and his whole staff has done, they have they've gone into players full bore. And now and now what's going to happen is fans are going to say, "Wow, you know that's why why are they treating those kids like that?" But they're just setting. And and one thing I, I noticed about what Jeff did was. He, he, he was yelling at everybody, but he was saying, we have confidence in you. Yeah. We have confidence in you that you're going to do what we ask you to do. Yeah. But we believe in you, and yeah. that's why you're on the field. Yeah. So even though you're getting, you know, really Dude. yelled at yeah. and chewed out, right. he's also saying, you're really important to me. You're really important to our program, and you got to go out there and show that, well, our confidence in you. And I like that. And then, and then I watch Shepard get into his wideouts. Holy mackerel. But I'm sitting there, and I know there's some fans, you know, their eyes are this big around. But the fact is, you got to set, you got to set a, you know, you got to set a, an example now. Yeah, absolutely. Let, these, me, let me just comment on that. But that's, that's great stuff. But this is a relationship business. And you don't do that until you have that the relationship because the players aren't going to respond right exactly if, in, until you've got that relationship with the players that you care about them they care about you they know you're there for them when i went out and these guys have been here now since last winter or you know late winter so they've been they've done a great job of establishing relationships rapport respect trust but when i went out this summer to watch uh, the early season practices on the football field luckily i was able to get in and watch a couple of those. I was smiling ear to ear watching these guys coach. <laughs> yeah. Because now for, for the guys that have been around for a few years, it had to be culture shock from what sure, from exactly. where what the what the um, environment had been, good, good or bad. Okay, I'm not gonna, you know, I, that's not my business. Okay, right, but exactly. what was going on out there? I mean, there was there were people getting chewed. If, if the offense won the play. Defense. There are five or six coaches in people's ears. Okay, if the defense won the play, it was on the other side. But people were getting chewed, and uh, but the intensity level just was skyrocketed from where it had been before. And that you know, why are we winning? Why are we playing better? Because the intensity level is so high, and people care about what they're doing. And uh, it's. I knew then when I walked off that field, I said, "This is going to be different." (laughs) (laughs) Have you noticed since you've been coaching? Uh, a difference in how much of a psychologist you have to play, yeah. As a coach, yeah. because I've always ta- I always joke around with with Coach Painter. I say, you know, your job has evolved so much in the fact that back in the days of Coach Katie and Coach Knight, like in our league, you know, y- y- they didn't care about being a psychologist. It was like, here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna motivate you any way I can, and if you don't like it, there's the door. But most kids still would stick it out and yeah. do it. Yeah. Nowadays in our the way our cultures change, or societies change, it's not that way anymore. No, uh, somebody gets rubbed the wrong way, they're out the door. And so your jobs as coaches has really become as much of a psychologist as it has become an X's and O's coach. No, I, I agree. And the other thing about that is, you you can't have as much depth as you used to have because kids have to play. Right. I mean, Matt's not going to have, and he's got great depth right now. I get that. This is. The, I told you the other day, this is the most athletic team I've ever seen from Purdue, yeah. top to bottom. But that's because things are going well right now, right. which is great. But 
you have to be a psychologist. Like, like we had two kids, you talked about, we had two kids leave two years ago. We could have bottomed out because we had no depth. And so I've got to, I can't take anybody out of the game because I don't have anybody really to put in that can play at the Big Ten level. So I've got to spend my whole time making that person feel better about who they are and how good they are and building their confidence up so they can go back out and play. So that, you know, you talk about being a right. psychologist. Yeah, you've got, you've got to all the time do that. And before practice, how are you going to get them ready to practice? Now, a lot of them come in ready to practice. Don't get me wrong, but I need everybody ready to practice. So that's that's what we do. Our, the the key is making sure at the start of practice, you're doing something to get them ready to go because practice is every bit as more as important as the match. I think they get ready for the matches. Right. Um, unless, like you say, like you know, we played Loyola of Chicago, who was one and eight. We had to do some work to get them, I think, ready to go out and play. Even though it was a home match, we still had to do some work to get them ready. Before we move on to our Final Four segment, I, I wanted to bring up the fact uh, and kind of pass this along to our listeners that you've been pretty close with our program, um, you know, since since we've been here, since you've been here. It's been a great relationship. You're often popping down into our offices to talk, uh, talk sports, talk basketball, talk anything, really. Um, but I know... You know, you and Coach are from the same hometown, both mm-hmm. both Muncie guys. Yeah. So uh, there, there'll be times. I, I think when you and John are down here, inevitably some name will come up, and and, and they re- immediately, and the person's never a Muncie person's never referenced by their name. It's always a nickname. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's always some kind of a moniker. Um, but you, you've got a good relationship with Coach Painter and with our whole staff, and that's uh, that's been enjoyable. I know for us over the years. Painter's Painter is such an unbelievable coach. He has the, the, the total package. And, again, he's got a lot of Gene Cady, okay, and Bob Knight. Those are the two guys that, you know, he really, uh, I think, resembled the most early on. But I think he's also uh, evolved as times have evolved. But he's, he's funny, but he's a disciplinarian. He's got great rapport. He builds the relationships. Um, he's a great speaker, even though he doesn't like to do it, okay. But he, he'll do it for the right cause. Um, he's fun to talk to. The, the players that re- take the chance to get to know him, love him, and uh, I, you know, we're we are in such a great position with him, you know, as, as a head coach. And and um, he's young, you know. He's got people, a lot of, years a lot of left. yeah. A lot of people don't. A lot of people don't look at that in the fact he's forty seven years old, and that you know, Coach Katie came here when he was forty five. That's yeah. when he started. Right. You Isn't know, that amazing. And and Matt has thirteen years in here. Yeah. Let alone being at SIU. So, yeah, I mean, that's... Matt was a soft, Matt was a freshman at Delta, and I was coaching JV basketball at Daleville, which is not a household name even in Muncie, okay? <laughs> no, that's and, true. It's the first time yeah, I've heard of it. Daleville, which is... Uh, I was working for Everett Gates, who was a great coach. By the yeah, way, we, we yeah. did win the 1985 Anderson sectional, beat all three of the city schools that year. It was kind of a repeat of Hoosiers, but that's another story. And so we're playing the undefeated... Delta JV team. They were eighteen and zero, and we had a nice little outfit. We were probably thirteen and six or something like that. And we that was back before any shot clock or anything. Of course, there still isn't a shot clock in high school basketball. But we held the ball. We went four corners. We ran a couple of different <laughs> delay games. Anyway, we ended up getting beaten that game about eight to six. Okay, but Painter didn't get his average. Game, I know that. He, st- he still remembers that. And and, uh, and then that was my last year really coaching basketball. Then I went into the radio booth and was working with guys like Maury Mannies and yeah, Jeff Weller Maury. from WLBC. And so I got paid just as much to work two nights a week to go watch high school basketball and talk about it 
as I was coaching, you know, the whole winter. I used to always kid Maury about the fact that, uh, you know, you were in the business for 642 years. And I said, you had a huge advantage over me. And he said, what's that? I said, you started when you were in eighth grade. Yeah. I had to wait and yeah. get my degree and everything before and I could did. start. He's from that. Peru, and he, he did start in eighth grade and then got going at, at Ball State. And Maury is still hanging in there. He's not doing real well, oh. but he, he's hanging in there. And uh, so certainly our thoughts and prayers for Maury Manny. He's probably the, maybe the best basketball broadcaster next to you, Cliz, of all time. Yeah, he's. Uh, we were just looking that up the other day. We were going through some of the names in uh, Indiana broadcasting history and we were rattling those off on the way down to Carmel for that exhibition game, and Maury's name always comes up at the top of the list on that for sure. So, yeah. Okay, so uh, now it's time for our segment, the final four, and uh, four questions here for Coach Shondell. First of all, Coach, uh, what is your go-to music of choice? Uh, I'd say Lee Bryce. Okay. I love Lee Bryce. I love, I'm a country guy at this point in time. I got uh, changed over by a couple of my daughters and some friends back probably still when I was still in Muncie when it really started to kind of – uh, become a lot more popular, but uh, something about uh, the, the messages and the songs that he has. If I had my choice, it would be Lee Bryce. Now, uh, Coach Painter used to say that our our old equipment guy Mookie Maves used to resemble Lee Bryce when he wore a backwards hat, which he did sometimes. <laughs> Coach would always say, "Here comes old Lee Bryce down the ramp of Mackey Arena." So, so I actually, yeah. I, you know, I'm not very familiar with the country Ice? genre. Yeah, I actually am familiar with Lee Bryce because of that. Yeah. Okay, question number two here in the final four is uh, what is a book you would recommend or a book you've read recently? Oh, man. Uh, now you're getting a little bit out of my wheelhouse. But uh, I do, I mean, I'll do some reading. Um, usually it's all about uh, motivation. Um, John Gordon, I don't know if you guys have read much from John Gordon. He's the guy that he, he was a, a lacrosse player at, uh, I think, Cornell. And uh, he's written some unbelievable books about being a great teammate and being a, a you know being a Christian, but also being a great teammate. And so, uh, anything from John Gordon, I think, is for anybody. If you're a coach, if you're a broadcaster, if you're just an everyday mom or dad, um, they're outstanding. Uh, so he's my guy, John Gordon. Are there other are there other names outside the volleyball sport that you either study, read up on, kind of? Well, they're you know, influenced by. Oh yeah, I mean, I obviously uh, Coach K certainly is somebody I've read. A, you know, a lot of his stuff. Um, uh, I think you know he he's outstanding, and you know John Wooden. You know, he, I think that some of John Wooden's stuff is, has withstood the test of time. It's and, amazing, isn't it? And uh, some of it, you know, you it hasn't, right. but some of it certainly has. And uh, so yeah, I mean, I think no matter where you go, I mean, I. Coaching's coaching. That's what people don't get. You know, you're a ball coach. You're a ball coach, and uh, it's become a lot less. I think about you know X's and O's um, as it has about dealing with people, and your recruiting has become so so big. But then you still got to deal with them when you get them. I know Matt. You know, told me a couple of years ago. You know, you got to recruit them to commit, and then you got to recruit them to to sign a, a national letter, and then you got to recruit them to get here. And then once they get here, you got to keep recruiting them so they don't leave, you know. And, and that's what people don't get. They think right. that this is a, it's an easy thing to to get great players and then to keep them here. And 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 those are the hardest ones that sometimes. Well, to what really people, keep. I, I guess, the thing that people really don't understand is, to me anyway, when I talk to everybody, is that normally at this level, every player you get is a guy that starred in high school and has been told that he's been a star. 
uh, and sometimes by you yeah i mean sometimes you're the one telling them how great oh yeah exactly yeah but having said that i mean it goes one through 12 or one through 13 or one through 20 it doesn't matter everybody's had their level of success and for those people that are on the edge, not the ones that know they're going to play, the ones that are on the edge, they're always thinking to themselves, and I was no different, hey, I'm, you know, I can play as good as you, and you're not right. paying any attention to me, and if you're not paying attention to me, uh, you know, what am I going to do? Well, I'm going to walk, or I'm going to go find something else that's going to be better, and it's, and it's you know, it's there, and and, and I think, you know, I think parents, unfortunately, sometimes push that a little bit. Like, you know, hey, my kid's just as good as this kid. How come he's not playing? And I always, you know, and I always tease Matt, as Elliot knows, with a lot of our players about, you know, how come so-and-so's not playing? I think, you know, I think so-and-so's better than so-and-so. And he said, well, that's why I'm coaching Larry. That's why you're broadcasting. But having said that, I mean, you know, people just don't understand that. And you're right. One of the greatest things for any team, I, I, I've been amazed by this Cleveland Indians winning streak and, and Tito Francona's managerial skills. And one of the things that everybody says, this team environment is unbelievable. You have no understanding of this until you're here, how unbelievable it is. Being a good teammate, you know, doing your role, doing those things and accepting it is a huge thing and has a lot to do with how good you are. I mean, you can be flat out better than anybody else talent-wise, and you have an advantage, but you still have to have a team. It's still a team concept. And I, I, don't think, I don't think in recruiting and I don't think in coaching we talk about that enough. Well, you can just look in the same city and look at the Cavaliers, what the difference between them and the Indians. Okay, you talk about culture. And, and that's one thing that we have to, as coaches at college and high school, you have to spend a lot more time on is is building your culture and and helping people understand what being a good teammate is because they a lot of times they don't know and that's that's really important yeah and it's finding the right kid too when you recruit you know it's one they got to obviously they have to be talented but they have to fit you have to be able to coach them and they have to fit the culture well, i remember remember in joe's last couple of years they'd had enough success they were starting to get in the door with great athletes and he ended up getting some great great athletes that were bad bad yeah, characters exactly, exactly. and i thought that was the beginning of the end for him, when he I got agree. some of those guys in, they looked great. They're the, you know, four-star, five-star type type players, which right. we hardly ever get, got in football here. But that ended up, I think, being the you know the uh, the thing that turned things the wrong direction there at the end. Yeah. Okay. Question number three here, the final four. What profession other than being a coach, if you could just wave a wand, would you like to do? Well, uh, the broadcasting's pretty pretty easy, I think. Uh, Cliz will probably tell you that out. What an easy job that is. But, uh, well, it is, and I told someone, yeah, it is, Dave. I mean, because people ask me all the time, I don't know how you do it. Are you kidding yeah. me? Yeah. It's it's pretty easy. Yeah. No, it's, but it takes it, there's homework in that, like everything else. I know that. And the key to I remember the first thing Maury Manning would tell me was this was doing high school. You've got to get there early, and you've got to get your spot. You got to get your stuff down. Now, you don't have to do that quite as much. You got somebody doing that for you, probably. But you had to go in and establish territory, like especially if you're going to a, a regional or even a state tournament. You yeah. got to get in there and get your space and take up some area. But uh, I also have always thought that maybe being an attorney would, uh, it too much schooling for me, but it, it would have been 
something I think that I would have enjoyed uh, doing as well. That'd so be, it's communicating. He wants you to be a broadcaster yeah. or a coach or an attorney. That'd be great. Just what we need is more another attorney. <laughs> <laughs> My wife's an attorney. So, um, but that you talked about the getting there early for your spot. That's this is how. Uh, this is the status that Cliz has in our with our radio crew. <laughs> Wes Scott, our our engineer, he sets out two seats for Cliz at each game, uh, home and road. Yeah. And there's been many a times we've been on the road. He and calls we're that in, the sp- the Cliz spread. Yeah, the Cliz spread, <laughs> and we're in an argument with the opposing team's SID. We need yeah. another spot down here, and and oh, I can't do it. No, we got to have it. Yep. He, he normally gets it. Gets it. So, uh-huh. yep. That's good. That's respect. It's kind of <laughs> weight he pulls in the Big Ten. Him and Don, you're, he's uh, Don Fisher. Don I'm second to Don. I'm always second to Don. Don started before I did. We're exactly the same age. We're both 70 years old. Really? And he says, I have some last year. I said, Don, tell me when you're going to quit because I want to pass you, but I don't <laughs> think I can do it. I don't have the time to do it. And he says, I'm not quitting. I said, what? He said, no, I still got some mortgage to pay. I'm still going to keep doing it, so forget forget about that one. So I'll be – I'm relegated to number two. Okay, uh, final question of the final four here for Coach Shondell. What is one thing that either no one or not many people know about you? I I think probably that um, I really like – being a a husband, a father, and a grandfather. I mean, you know, you sometimes you look at coaches and you, you don't think about where they spend most of their time and and what really is important. Mm-hmm. You know, the don't get me wrong, Purdue fans, this is really important coaching. You right. know, really, really important. And uh, I've sacrificed way too much family time for you know coaching. But those things are what it's all about. And uh, I like being at home right now. It's just my wife and I. There's not a better situation than when those kids are all gone. <laughs> and you're, you're just coming home and it's quiet. <laughs> I like it almost as well when uh, she's not even there. But, um, but it's, it's nice. It's a nice situation. But then you love to have the, the family come over and, and see you. But I, I really, really uh, enjoy that. I like working in my yard. I, I got, we've got a big lot. And I, it's kind of nice, quiet time. You know, you like to have... When you feel like you're in charge and you're making a lot of decisions all the time, I don't make decisions at home. Somebody's out, you know, you know how that works, guys. Somebody else is making those decisions. It's not me. But uh, it's kind of nice just to be at home. But don't you think that's become a bigger, I think more awareness has been to that part of coaching is that you need to have an outlet. And the guys, there are dinosaurs, the guys that just are 24-7, you know, Mr. Intensity all the time. Uh, that's that's not as popular anymore. It doesn't play out as well, no. and you have to have that escape to keep you mentally sharp. Yeah, and and because even in our sport, um, and, the, and the Big Ten has been a leader in this to some extent. Coaches are getting paid a lot of money, and when you get paid a lot of money, you're expected to do, do a really good job, and that means you got to work a lot harder. And there's a lot more stress and pressure involved in that. Even right. in our right. game, you know, a lot, a lot of it's what you put on yourself. And I still feel that's where I am, okay? It's what you put on yourself. You don't want to embarrass yourself, your school, your anybody. You know, you want to, you want to do the very, very best you can do. But you better have, um, I'll give you a classic example, my brother Steve. You know, probably the most successful coach in Indiana high school history right. in any sport. Uh, 22 state championships. Is, uh, I think his winning percentage was like 100 or 1,590. I mean, that's where he was. Unbelievable. We took the Ball State job. Things were different. 
recruiting. You're playing against people who have the same advantages that you you know that you do. Um, stressed him out. He was having all kinds of health issues. He didn't have maybe necessarily the outlets. No, you know, that family. You know, I mean, I had outlets, but I think he was so consumed in doing what he could do for his alma mater that it ate him alive. And uh, now he's fine. He retired, and he's happy. He's a lot happier than I am right now, probably. But uh, <laughs> he's he's doing fine. But I think you're right. You know, there's a lot of. If, it doesn't matter what coaching level you're at. You can be a middle school coach and right. put a lot of pressure on yourself. So, um, but I think I think one of the things I found is a happy medium to to keep things balanced. And if you're stressing out too, your players are stressing out. When I get to a point before, if it's a big match or something, and I'm feeling stressed, I'm not. I'm going to hide. I'm not going to show my players I'm stressed out. Right. Because all that's going to do is tighten them up. So Absolutely. You got I think being relaxed and calm is the is the most important way to do it. And if you can just be feel good about who you are and your preparation, it's like everything else. If you're as prepared, like we're going, we play Northwestern on Wednesday. I started on them three days ago before we even played Loyola. Okay. We will be prepared for Northwestern. So I'll feel great about that match. Because of that, our players are going to feel great about that match. But it's all in life. It's all about being prepared. Right. And I think that's that's crucial. Well, we want to thank you for taking some time here. You guys are getting ready to start the Big Ten uh, portion of the schedule. You come into the, as you mentioned, uh, a home game against Northwestern, a home match then on the weekend against Ohio State. 13th in the country. You've done a great job. Uh, good friend of our program. Just wanted to say thanks, Coach, for coming on. I appreciate, guys, the opportunity, and uh, hopefully there's people out there paying attention. All right. Uh, <laughs> wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Dave, I guarantee you, right? I mean, well, I mean, we hear it we, every day. You're going to get the bump. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're going to get the okay. Purdue basketball podcast bump, bump on your social that. media, oh, your program. That's great. It's what we're here to do, elevate elevate all those around us. <laughs> okay, that was episode 24 here on the Purdue Basketball Podcast. I want to thank all of our listeners for their loyalty. I want to thank the great Sylvia Booker for lining up all our guests here on the show. We'll get uh, Coach Shondella's gift basket here as he exits, <laughs> exits, the, exits the office. So until next time, be curious, be informed, and be well.